What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to the RuPaul's Drag Race Recap Show for All-Stars Episode... Wait. All-Stars Season 8, Episode 6, titled Joan the Unauthorized Rusical. My name is Joe Batanz, and I am joined, as always, by one stony co-host from the podcast (laughs) pod is my co-pilot. Please say... Butter kitty butter kitty butter kitty butt. Gutter butter gutter butter gutter butter gut. To Taylor the Latte Boy. Hello, Taylor the Latte Boy. Hello, how are you? I'm doing very well. Now, on Just Between Us Girls, we talked in detail about where you were last week. You were mm. supposed to go to gay days, but then you didn't land up there. Where did you, where were you, Taylor? I ended up in the hospital with a kidney stone. Yeah, he did. And so I think I think I seem like a dick because I never referenced it on the show. <laughs> and people saw follow you on social media and they uh-huh. were like, Taylor's in the hospital and Joe's just having a good old time with Lori and Joe. Oh yeah. I mean, with Lori and Nathan. It, it it doesn't affect you, so why would you bother commenting on it? The the cruel taskmaster of Afterthought Media. Yeah, I don't look back. <laughs> I'm just like, whatever, he's gone. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Taylor, how, but how are you feeling now? Give us an update how you're feeling now. I'm feeling great. I'm, feel, I'm feeling really good. I had a pretty good, actually had a really good week at work. And um, other than I had a, I did go to urgent care yesterday. I didn't tell you oh. this story because I had a issue with my eyelid and I had a sty growing on the inside of my eyelid. So it was driving oh. me nuts. The doctor, the oh. doctor visit, if the doctor visit lasted 90 seconds. That was a that was a long doctor. She came in, basically said, "Yeah, it's this. I'm going to prescribe eye drops for you. You'll be fine." Turned around, walked out the door. Oh my god, I hate that. Yeah, even if it's not that important of a detail, you know, no. About a month ago, I went to the doctor and I'd had this. I'd gotten this really bad. I think I talked about this really bad fungus. This is this is the new Joe trying to pick up men on my podcast thing. <laughs> uh, fungus all over like the top of my my shoulder, my neck, and stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually, I have a theory of how I got it, by the way. My theory is I went to my normal hairstylist and there was a guy, I had to wait longer than usual. And there was some guy who looked kind of gross that she was finishing up his haircut. Mm-hmm. And I remember clocking how gross he was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whatever. But she was in a hurry. And then she chased me because I, I, I she was running late with me. And I think he had some sort of fungus. And that was she, because it started in the back of my neck. And that when she was... Uh, you know when they do the thing with the trimmer to trim the back of your neck? Yeah. That that she somehow gave me the fungus. Anyway, I had gotten this weird, like, bulbous growth. Like, almost like a huge skin tag right here, right? Oh. So my doc- when I t- and the doctor's like, uh, I think I'm going to have to refer you to a dermatologist for that, right? Okay. So she referred me to a dermatologist, set up the appointment for like two weeks later. Well, after doing the treatment for the fungus, 
This thing fucking went away. But I'm like, I want to keep this dermatology appointment though, right? So I go and I go, um, yeah, it was right here. And I was trying to be funny about it. I was like, you know, kind of like when you call a plumber over and it starts working again or mm-hmm. whatever, right? And she goes, she chuckled and she, I, I go, and you can already see her packing up. Like I was there for 10 seconds at this point. And then I go, and I have this like dark spot under my, yeah, you know, just burn it off. I'll give you a phone number. All right, good. Take care. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> That was fast. I was all right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so well, I'm glad to hear you're better, and I'm glad to know you're okay, and I think everybody's glad that you are back. Yes, and I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with that snatch game episode. <laughs> Hello? <gasps> Who's that? Yeah, who is that? I don't know who that is. Hi, Taylor, it's me, it's your kidney stone. Oh, hi, kidney stone. How are you? I'm good. I missed you. Uh, that's great. That's great. We spent a we spent a wonderful week together that I will never forget. I know, but then you just pissed me out in your toilet with a bunch of your shit, which I don't think is a nice way to say goodbye to somebody. Well, sometimes we 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 earn the way that we are told goodbye. By the way, I also know because I was in you for a while. After you guys played this Tears of the Kingdom, or you went to um, Whataburger. Are there Whataburgers in Florida? No, there are no Whataburgers oh, in Florida. after you went to Dairy Queen or wherever you guys go. Raising Canes? I don't know where you guys go. <laughs> we do have a Raising Canes, but... Baba Lou gave it to you real good, and I could feel I could feel him thrusting against me. Yeah, I'm sorry that I bukkakied all over you, though. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I liked it. So, I was on a medicine. Yeah. That that caused me to have retrograde ejaculations. So I ended up like coming into my own I know, bladder. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> Except you got it in my eye one time. I didn't like it. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I was a little hurt that you guys didn't ask me to be a third in your couple, in your you, relationship. Because technically, I, we were a third. Yeah, you were I guess a third. I was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I was. But you guys dumped me for somebody else. Anyway, uh, have a good show. Bye. Sorry, Taylor. I was I had to go leave the room for a second. So I was okay, like, all right. Probably best. Let's jump to the show. We, we can't wait to any more time. This week, the girls will sing and act in their very own musical send up of both the life of Joan Crawford and the film Mommy Dearest. On the runway, the category is Night of a Thousand Grace Jones. Is <clears throat> I don't. I was thinking about this. is it just Grace Jones period, or would you say Grace Jones's? I don't know. In the end, Candy Muse was named the top all star of the week. While Kahana Montrese and James Mansfield were placed in the bottom two after facing off with season 14's or season off, uh, facing off against season 14's and Jiria Paris Van Michaels, Candy was named the winner of the lip sync and revealed that she had chosen to send home James Mansfield. Taylor, what did you think of the lip sync and did the right person go home? The lip sync will probably go down as one of the worst lip syncs on the series. It was, it was, to quote, to quote my co-host, horrible. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was sloppy. It, I don't get, I don't get Rue's fascination with Candy Muse. I, re- I really don't get it. And I mean, just from the beginning, she had the weird pasties on. So you were expecting there to be a reveal, but there wasn't a reveal. It was just, and just kind of rolling around on the ground. And, and not that Andrea was really a whole lot better you know i also kind of blame it's an odd song i remember that song like i remember the video for that song when i was a kid and it's just it's not really a fast song it's not a slow song but it just was it was just not good 
I don't know the Grace Jones oeuvre, if you will, but I do know of another song she has called like I Need a Man or something like that, which yeah. seems to be a lot more I'm not saying it's the best song for lip sync either, but it's better than the one that they chose. It's funny that you say that, yeah. 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 So I I don't quite get that, but no, that was that was not that was not fun at all to watch. Not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as far as the right person going home, um, I'm going to say yes, because... Oh, you are? Yeah, I am, because I feel like we've seen everything James had to offer, because James... Re- and I also get that you could say the same thing about Kahana, but she always does the same, like, Jane Mansfield, you know, look of that, you know, 60s bomb, blonde bombshell sort of thing. She doesn't really vary that, and when she does, she normally doesn't do it really well, and... I think that it added a little bit of drama because everybody was expecting the the viewers were expecting Kahana to go home because it was her third time. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- now it's kind of showing that the game is really where they are going to hopefully every once in a while put out the stronger of the two competitors. Wow, you've brought up a lot of issues here. Hold on, let's look, let's talk about what you said in terms of Candy Muse and. Uh, you don't know what the deal is with RuPaul. I've seen this discussion a lot. I think I had a conversation with Robert about it either on Rulaska Thoughts or privately, which I think was on Rulaska Thoughts, where it's no coincidence, according to Robert, that Candy Muse is originally on one of what's widely considered one of the worst seasons of Drag Race, season 14. Mm-hmm. Is it 14 or 13? Season 13. 13. 14. 13. And now she's on what's widely considered the worst season of All Stars and that they both have this in common. And that's true. And I think I took that at face value. But now that I think about it, based on what you said, is that I don't know why RuPaul's fascinated with her. And maybe could it be perhaps that it's by chance that Candy is on was on originally one of the worst seasons and also, well, it might not even be that simple either. It could be a complication of the two. Right. Is that now she's on one of the worst seasons of All Stars. And that RuPaul realizes, oh shit, I fucking need this bitch. Because otherwise, this is it's a snooze fest now. It'll be more of a snooze fest if I get rid of her. Right. Now, it could be one of the things where she's almost like an arsonist. She's going into the place, burning the place fucking down because she's horrible. And so the season's horrible, but then they realize they can't get rid of her because she's the only one keeping it kind of interesting. Right. So I don't know. She's like a, a reality show terrorist. But you're right. Both seasons <laughs> she was on both seasons she was on were horrible or horrible. They're not good. Mm-hmm. And I think she's part of the problem. Um the talking about the lip sync, I don't know. You know, maybe a lot of the lip syncs have been getting bad. But, like, I feel this was, yes, on the bad side of what we've been seeing. But maybe it is one of the worst ones of the series. I don't know. It, it was not interesting to me at all. But you have to understand something. It's also these two queens I'm not big fans of. I wasn't a fan. Of, I never understood the Angeria Paris Van Michaels sort of hype on her own season. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never gotten Candy Muse. So it's watching two people I don't like, watching someone from Goron City and from Gerudo Valley go head to head. And a lip sync battle for their lives, even though I would love to see it in Tears of the Kingdom, <laughs> not IRL. Thank you. Uh, I want to say something about your go- Kahana going um, about James Mansfield. Uh, it was it was a little surprising. I don't think James Mansfield should have even been in the bottom, and I'm sure we'll discuss this. Uh, and I 
feel now, but going back to the Kahana thing, is Kahana, it's so funny, these queens get such a boner for the validation they get from All-Stars, but Kahana is in, you're right, I think you brought this up, in the Roxy Andrews position, where now at a certain point, though, if I had been nominated that many times, I would say vote me out, because now you're risking the the backlash from the audience who just wants you to go fucking home. Right. right? That, that you keep sending people home and you're, you know, you are, you've already been in the bottom three times. Kahana has to go home very soon or it's just not going to be cute. And um, for her post-career, I don't know why she's not thinking about it, but then they get so blind by they want this validation. And again, as we've talked about, everybody on this cast seems to think that they were going to walk in and walk away with the prize. I don't, I don't, understand the the thing here did you say everything you said about the lip syncing who, who went home correctly and stuff like that? i think you did did you have anything to say because i feel like i'm just talking and talking well and talking. i think I, you know you're talking about the parallel between kahana and roxy from all-star season two i think the difference there i think she could go all the way to the end because the difference was as far as the backlash against roxy was that roxy was up against beloved you know Alyssa and um i'm trying to think of who were some of the other ones that she sent home but just like some of them that you were like get rid of roxy at this point because we want to keep these particular girls and the fact that that's not the case with kahana i mean is anybody going to be really upset if it's kahana versus alexis and alexis gets sent home well yeah but now you're talking about the general ambivalence we all have about this cast like does anybody really care who wins I mean, it would be weird if Jimbo didn't win, but it's not like we would lose anyone would lose sleep if Jimbo doesn't win. Right. Right. So. I think I think if that became more apparent now that Heidi's gone too. I think if Heidi had been here, still here, then you would have that you would at least have that like, okay, it could be one of the two of them who's going to who's gonna push the nudge the other one out of the top spot. But now it's like the only one that's really that I'm even sort of remotely voting for or rooting for would be Jimbo. And even then, not crazy, like not, you know, not to a fever pitch. Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of drag delusion in the fandom. I was talking to a friend about this yesterday. He was bringing this up up, and I've seen it. And there's a Reddit post that was up recently. I don't know if it's still around. And it was they had a picture of Jinx as Judy Garland. And then they had a picture of jimbo as shirley temple Mm -hmm. and it said two queens stand before you whose snatch was better and i'm like this isn't even that's i mean not even close it's not even close but in reddit land they're super close like jimbo was the best one on a season on an episode of really shitty ones yeah and i'll be honest with you like i said i laughed out loud at the tap dancing moment (laughs) yes but that but that, that was, was the one joke. That was it. Where Judy Garland was like uh, the, the one of, if not the best one in the history of the show. Yeah. And that's yeah. not even counting when she did the, the fucking uh, girl from Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. That one was better than Jimbo is Shirley Temple. Yeah. Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone. So, I don't know. They're crazy. All right. After the non-elimination, Kahana learned that the votes were unanimous against her and she would have gone home. 
Jimbo mourns her third lip sync loss, and the queens reflect on Heidi's departure. The next day, the girls enter the workroom and notice the photos of RuPaul have been replaced by portraits of Joan Crawford and one conspicuous poster of Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Next, RuPaul enters the workroom to announce this week's Maxi Challenge. The girls will record solo numbers as they represent a different era from the or different as they represent different eras from the career and life of Joan Crawford. In the workroom, the girls listen to the music, read the script, and announce which roles they would like for themselves. Candy and Jessica duke it out for one particular role, which Candy wins by audition. Um, I managed to even there's so little happen. I managed to squeeze three acts into this whole thing. Uh, Taylor, let's start with the non-elimination uh, se sequence. Did you have any big thoughts on everything that happened up before the the titles dropped? Yeah, I think that Kahana recognizing that everybody, especially when you consider last time she got so defensive and so angry when like Darian, the fact that this time she was able to kind of say, yeah, I, I respect you all for doing this and I, I get it was a refreshing change. And I I appreciate that that it didn't just sort of devolve into well that you know they're all they're all intimidated by me no nobody's intimidated by you um, Jimbo crying about that I can see where people you know it could be the equivalent of that's a lot of crying for safe but I think at this point Jimbo is realizing that this could affect bookings. She's had three shitty lip syncs. It's one thing to just sort of lose the lip syncs. It's another thing to really you're kind of showing the, you know, what you do. And there may be places that wouldn't necessarily book her if they think she's just going to kind of twirl around and put her arms out. Well, do you think so? This actually goes to a note that I have. Do you think that Jimbo just doesn't do lips? She does more like performance art. She comes out of that weird character and does weird shit. So maybe just lip syncing isn't her thing. But that was the thing that was so surprising to me was I wrote as a note, wait, Jimbo hasn't been throwing these lip syncs? Like she actually cares? I legitimately thought was, I don't care what the lip sync, I'm just going to throw it. Well, I know that that's been the rumor. Yeah, I, I know that's been the rumor. But I, at some point after the third one, I mean, even if that's you throw the first two and then you wow them with the third one, because there's only so many episodes left. So unless you're going to really, you know, wow somebody on the fourth or fifth time. Plus, at what point does Rue go? I can't I can't, you know, say that she's the winner because I can't deal with another shitty lip sync. Well, no, hold on for a second. I've talked about this. This is the this is the thing that makes me laugh when I see it on Reddit is I've seen this this talk on Reddit where it's like. Jimbo is a shitty lip syncer, so how can she win the whole thing? They don't fucking care on this show. They will just go. Last year, Jinx went up against Monet, clearly lost against Monet, and they crowned her the winner. The show does not fucking care. They will just crown whoever they want to crown as the winner. And that's the thing. I think this the show does a great illusion of tricking people that it's real, but it's not. This is all predetermined. Thank you. The only other thing, well, no, actually, I have a couple of things, but the when I saw that there were pictures of Joan Crawford and Faye Dunaway everywhere, I was so excited because I know how much you love talking about Faye Dunaway. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, yes, it's going to be a, it's going to be a show about crazy women. And, and it's yeah. Joe's, uh, Joe's favorite topic. Yeah. So, yeah. So 
I do. You know, when I was in college, I don't know if I ever talked about this. I was the entertainment editor for the school newspaper. But like before that, even when I was a freshman, because I went to a college that was close enough to LA, it's only like a, a 45 minute drive. We would get invited to the movie press junkets when they would promote movies. Uh-huh. And no one ever wanted to go because they didn't want to go to LA. I was like, I'll fucking do it. So I interviewed all these celebrities when I was in college. And one of them was Faye Dunaway. And this is actually going to speak to a, a thing that I want to talk about later uh-huh. about Mommy Dearest and Joan Crawford and Faye Dunaway and all that. I I knew she I knew about Mommy Dearest sort of I hadn't watched it and I knew she was an actress and just knew right and so I just sort of showed up and they had told us don't bring up Mommy Dearest and I was like I don't give I don't care because I don't, that's not a problem and she was I don't know I, I barely remember the interview I'm sure I have a tape of it somewhere and now I'm like oh my god if that were me now <laughs> I would lose my fucking mind Faye Dunaway is such a cuckoo bird, uh-huh. crazy person. And for those of you, and I don't know how much we're going to get into this, you, okay. Joan Crawford was a crazy person. And yes. we're going to talk, we're going to, we're going to get into this later because I want to get through this act, right? So when we went to the Joan Crawford musical or whatever, we will get into this. She was a crazy person. Then they made a movie about this crazy person and cast a crazy person. <laughs> As a crazy person. So I don't know if, you, if you've if you ever, you know, Karina Longworth on, you must remember this, she did a whole thing about uh, Betty and Joan, a whole season. And, and I think the last episode of the season was a one episode dedication to the making of Mommy Dearest, which is just a whole cuckoo bananas yeah. making of story of that fucking movie. And... um. So yeah, Faye Dunaway is an absolute cuckoo bird. And I love cuckoo. But look, people think I'm a fan of Marianne Williamson because she has great thoughts. No, she is Faye Dunaway <laughs> level crazy. And I fucking love it. I don't, I don't know. I just can't get enough of her. Same thing with Ma- yeah, Marianne Williamson. Um, going back to this, I have a note here that Jimbo should really talk to James Mansfield about how to mask that line between the the breastplate and your neck. Because mm-hmm. James Mansfield is really good at it. It's almost unclockable with James Mansfield, but Jimbo is equally as bad. Also, there's a part in this set in this uh, segment where Candy, they're talking about Heidi leaving, and she's like, I hope she didn't plant any seeds that I'm trying to send the best people home. And I'm like, yeah, but then you sent James home. Like, right. she, she played into Heidi's, like, I know... Like, this is why, guys, so it's one of the things is uh, that Jimbo should have been in the bottom. I think Taylor agrees, right? Yes. I, c- I could see, I could definitely see an argument for Jimbo being in the bottom. Yes. I was speaking to After Buzz TV's Jay Ellis earlier, right before the show, and he was saying, girl, how was Jimbo not in the bottom for this episode, right? And it's because, when he knew why, it's what he was getting to, and we all know, it's because they knew if they put Jimbo in the bottom, that 100% Candy would just send her home. Mm-hmm. And there's a good chance the cast might, too. So they didn't want that, so they couldn't put her in the bottom, right? But, but yeah, Candy has a plan to send a person home, which gets to a philosophical question that we can. I want to put this basically in a note for Rulaska thought is Rulaska thoughts is going on All Stars about winning the competition, or is it about a redemption or winning the fans' 
over because that's two different games. You can right. go in there and win the competition and Naomi smalls it and life's not fair and send Manila home. Or you can be a basic – it could be a miscongeniality race, which gets you goodwill with the audience. Which one is more valuable? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about this on Rulaska Thoughts uh, on this coming episode. Uh, let's move on to the next day with the Mommy Dearest lines, uh, pictures and stuff like that. Uh, did you have any thoughts on anything that happened the next day before we go into the workroom? Um, I thought that the Rue intro was dumb. I, she was it was just quotes there was usually there's at least something to kind of tie when she had uses quotes together but it was she was just mm-hmm. saying spouting out lines for mommy dearest mm-hmm. um at one point when she says mommy dearest is a master class in acting i just sort of laughed because it's Not. for camp yes yeah. absolutely but she didn't say that she said it's you know where it should be it should be up there in the you know the pantheon of the best films ever made due to you know it's it's not and the one thing that I wish they had done, I get why they said a night of a, th- a thousand Grace Jones sort of thing. Why not do a night of a thousand Faye Dunaways? Yeah, you could have. Mm-hmm. You could have because she's had enough. I You figure she's got Bonnie and Clyde. She's got uh, I, I came up with a bunch of them in my head. And that's the only one I can remember right now. But there, she's made enough movies that they could have done something that would have that it would have worked again for my younger audience faye dunaway this isn't the, okay let me go to the faye dunaway crazy thing <laughs> you don't understand something this isn't what a crazy person she is she literally had an early career like nobody's business yeah okay where she could have been and probably was meryl streep before meryl streep Okay, she was the first real sort of method actress that sort of made it big, and she she the the string of her early movies is unbeatable. She was in Bonnie and Clyde. She was in Chinatown. She was in Network, and that was just a three off the top of my head. She right. had this incredible run of films, but she was such a crazy, difficult person to work with that her career went downhill. It was, in fact, I don't know if people know this. Before Joan Crawford died, they asked her who she thought were the next up-and-coming stars. And she said that the only one that really matched the true Hollywood star power great actress was Faye Dunaway. Joan Crawford actually knocked, I'm not mean spotted her before and, and paid her a compliment. Wow. And even before Mommy Dearest, she her career was starting to go downhill because she was so difficult. So she saw, going with what Taylor was talking about, she saw Mommy Dearest as a chance to be a, re- a redemption, a mm-hmm. comeback. And so that's the thing with the movie is it took itself very, very seriously. They are going for the motherfucking Oscar. To them, this is a prestige picture. Right. And what's funny is the studio was even surprised. So, and this is, Fade on the Ways talked very little about Mommy Dearest, but she has talked about this because she thinks the studio fucked up, is... The audience does they they release a serious movie and the early movie posters for for Mommy Dearest were very serious. This is a prestige motherfucking picture. Yeah, and very quickly the the movie actually was kind of a hit, but that's because audiences were going to laugh at it. So the studio pivoted and started marketing it as this camp classic mm-hmm. on the first run. And Fade on Away thinks that's why everyone remembers it, but no, this movie is cuckoo this movie is so cuckoo 
again, Faye Dunaway has talked about this a little bit. One of the things she's talked about was she did not get along with the directors. There's a whole bunch of reasons why the stories. And that he intentionally, he- that one, that she <laughs> went too far and it was his fault for not pulling her back. Okay, whatever. Right. But two, that he would do this thing. And you what? You know what? I'll give Faye Dunaway <laughs> this. Either he's a shitty director or she's right. I love when you, I, I, now since you told me this, I watch it and I, I, that's what goes through my head. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. She he holds a shot for too long. So in other words, when you see a movie and there's some dramatic thing, there'll be a shot and then they they uh, they cut away. Well, they don't hear. So like you know, she's holding the last shot and then waiting for a cut. And then you know, usually they'll cut that part out. They don't. So in Mommy Dearest shots, especially the crazy ones, stay on her for like one or two <laughs> seconds too long. Which is really weird and makes her look even <laughs> crazier than she really is. And we know she is crazy, but like it's like the scene with the the scene with the, the wire hangers and maybe it was directed this way. It's a movie from a horror. It's a scene from a horror movie. Yeah, she looks like a monster, <laughs> and I think that's what's intentional. Oh my god, this movie is so crazy. It is, and I think that's the thing is I think the memes and everything about it have. Not ruined it because it is camp classic, but have made people think, I don't need to watch this because I've already seen that part. And yes, but the whole, the way those little pieces fit into the entire thing right. is brilliant. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a work of art. It's, it's, it's completely bananas. All right. So anyway, uh, anything from the workroom? Um, the whole thing with Candy where she said, you know, I don't have any other options. And Alexis called her on and she's like, you can't just say that you're taking the role. And she was just like, well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I want the role, but I don't want to take any other roles, <laughs> but I won't take any other roles. Or it's like, no, that is what you're saying. I think in that moment, Candy sort of realized, like, I'm getting ready to go to Tamisha Mon territory. So I got to pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. And, you know, just just that was sort of you started to see the shades of old Candy kind of come out. Well, that but that's the thing with Candy Muse is on social media this week. She's like, you saw it? When did I say it? The only one. Like, well, you don't have to say it, you know? But it's such, it's such a narcissistic thing to do to be like to play with. No, I want to say narcissistic. It's such a gaslighty, manipulative thing to do. Like, well, I didn't say those specific words. But, bitch, the intent was there. Yeah. yeah. Why were there wire hangers in the workroom, by the way? There were wire hangers. Well, the, yeah, why? I was like, why are there wire hangers? Well, here? because uh, probably some of the girls who left, they left wire hangers behind from uh, their clothes there because they were the sort of that felt lined so mm-hmm. that they're not, you know, they don't ruin the garments. But that that makes sense why there would be wire hangers. All right. Because there was a ton oh. of them. There were a ton. Um, all right. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the rest of the episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would I do for an extra hour in the day? I'll tell you. I want to write more. In a, in a, in a previous life, I uh, was a writer, wanted to be a writer, all that jazz. You know, wrote things, and then it seems now that I podcast, which is a, a, a great creative outlet, by the way. I just write less, and well, I do write a lot. I just I don't know why I'm going on about this. I write less. I don't write creatively as much as I want to. Now it's mostly just writing about RuPaul's Drag Race or whatever is coming up for the show. 
And if I had an extra hour, I would spend it writing. And that's what I would do with an extra hour. That's what matters to me. But what matters to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. I have benefited very much from therapy. And it's helped me set priorities in my life. Hell, the reason I am a podcaster full-time is because of therapy. It helped me realize where my priorities were. And I benefited from therapy, and I think everyone can benefit from therapy. And that's why I think you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient. It's designed to be flexible. And you can totally fit it in your own schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drag Race today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drag Race. We are back. On the main stage, the girls record their vocals with Leland and some new guy. The only thing that happens that's kind of interesting is that Jessica can't say the word axe. Uh, on the main stage, uh, after the I'm sorry, after the girls leave the main stage, they re- this is always a weird thing they do on the show. L- hear me out here. After the girls leave the main stage where they record their vocals, they return to the main stage for a, choreogra- for a choreography session with director Adam Shankman. The only thing that happens that's kind of interesting is that Adam Shankman can kick really high. Okay, so what I'm talking about here is they try and do this thing where it's like the girls were in one room and then just went to the next room. But it's the same room. Right. But they try to give the illusion that they've gone to two different rooms. It's very strange. Like they have two they have two runways that they, that yeah, they have to yeah, go to. Yeah. Yes. It's bizarre. Uh, any thoughts on the recording or the choreography? This, to me, before you say anything... I love how I'm like, do you have any thoughts? Let me tell me my thought first. No, but <laughs> before fine. you say anything, I was like, nothing happened. I literally was trying to find things to put in the notes and just literally nothing of note happened. It was just, let's fill time. The only thing that happened was I'm wondering if our younger listeners would get the Millie Vanilli reference. Oh, okay. Explain it. All right. So Millie Vanilli was a band in the late 80s. It was two guys, um, two, they, I think they were German um and oh, they were i think you're right yeah they were from germany it was a dance band and they had a song called um what was their first song i know they had blame it on the rain and then uh blame it on the rain um there was all, another one i don't remember what it was. all of their songs basically sounded similar and they won the grammy for best new artist that year and come to find out that the band was not these two guys that they lip synced everything. And it came out initially, it came out, they were on tour and the CD that they were using skipped. They were on a club MTV tour and they were one of the performers. And and while in the middle of them singing, the CD started skipping. So um, then there was investigations done and they come to realize that it was this band that, um, that kind of were like, no, we are actually, yeah, it was studio positions. Yeah. And it got to be so bad that one of the two guys killed himself. Yeah. 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 Um, I can't remember. Was it the, which one was it? Girl, you know, it's true. That's the name of the the first song. Girl, 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 you know, it's true. 
which is so funny because they were German, but with clearly American accent singing. Like it was like it was very strange. But also like I it, it what people don't understand was this wasn't like oh some sort of like, I think nowadays it would have been some sort of like embarrassing uh the ashley simpson kind of thing right yeah but this was like a huge 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 news story uh i'm not even being funny almost akin to the president of the united states taking classified documents to his home in mar <laughs> it, it was yeah it was, it was like investigations and shit like that and you're like and and as a kid that made it made sense to me like, oh yeah this makes sense but now that i'm like who fucking cares? Well, I think it was because they were they got the Grammy, so they had to get they had a press conference where they had to hand the Grammy back. I I remember that, and um, the difference between that cares? and Ashley Simpson is Ashley Simpson was actually singing though. These two guys never they were just two models. True, true, true. One of them was really hot, actually. One of them was real. The one that died, he was really. Oh, really the hot. one that died was really hot. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Rob and Fab. They tried to they tried to create their own band like in the early nineties and like nothing happened. Yeah. Why do I know that? Um anyway, other than yeah, other than the Millie Vanilla thing, like I thought the choreography section went I I figured this out when I was like, this choreography section is way too long. Like, why are we still here? It is like they showed him going through with every single person, and even more so, nothing happened. It was yeah. nothing. Literally nothing happened. The one thing that I said, I am not a big Adam Shankman fan. Like, I used to mm-hmm. watch So You Think You Can Dance, and and he was a judge oh, he was on, there on there all the time. He was oh, one okay. of the judges that would be on every once in a while. Um, I do like, though, that he did all the choreo with them. He didn't mm-hmm. just kind of stand and watch them and say, now do this, do this, do this. Like, with each one, he tried to walk them through it. And, you know, we definitely have our low bar. As far mm-hmm. as who's the worst choreographer, um, and uh, but I thought that he he seemed to genuinely want them to do well. It wasn't about and even somebody well, he even says at one point like I'm not going to stand here and berate you. That doesn't make any sense to do that. You know I want I want you to succeed, which felt shady. It felt like a shady statement. All right, it's elimination day and the girls get ready for the runway. Alexis spent the entire night rehearsing. Jimbo just wants to avoid the bottom and Candy makes sure everyone is aware of the voting strategy. Shrug. Yeah, I agree. I I guess the whole need to say, now how is everybody voting? Bitch, they're going to vote how they want to vote. I I don't get why you think that you are telling everybody you know well we need to go on this or we need to go on that just it's it's let's see what happens let's see how everybody does and then everybody's gonna vote however they want to vote i i really feel for the editors this episode first of all this season but this episode this episode i could tell they had they had to work with nothing they had to work with nothing it was awful uh yeah i have nothing to say here uh all right well now it's time and this is probably where we'll spend the most time it's time to talk about Joan, the unauthorized rusical. Before we get into Mommy Dearest and the actual facts and all the, my theories and all this drama, what were your thoughts just on the rusical itself? I actually enjoyed it. I did think that it was uh, – I know that you went. Th- we went through that phase after um, Lucian where a lot of them were really shitty – Rusicals, but I think since Leland came in, we definitely have to talk about like Wigstock, and I know that there have been other ones over the last couple of years that have been really good. Um, that this was an example of one that was really, really enjoyable to me. Uh, it was fine. 
It was fine. I maybe I know too much about mommy dearest and stuff like that, where I was like, oh, that's not true. Or like uh I was like, they're trying to cram too much also into this. Like there were like obscure mommy dearest references about when like uh Joan Crawford makes Christina eat a raw steak. You know, right. like oh my god, that's a bizarre. That's a bit I remember that being a big scene though when I was a kid. Probably because that's, a big that's scene. something that my mother would have done to me. Oh really? Yeah, it is uh-huh. a big scene, but like, uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, that was fine. Some people on Reddit are like, "Oh, this is one of the best musicals of all time," you know. I'm like, I don't know about that, but um, but it was fine. It was it was perfectly. The thing is that the girls, as a whole, have gotten better at the musicals. Uh, I don't know why, but they have. Um, uh-huh. But uh, not Snatch Game, but they've gotten better at the musicals. And so, yeah, it was perfectly enjoyable. Uh, I think the only thing that suffered, I don't, I don't think the quality of the music was that good. Uh, let's, if you take a number by number, like I, you know, don't fuck with me, fella scene is so iconic. And I know because as she says, this is my first time, this isn't my first time at the rodeo. They decided to actually turn that into like a sort of like cowboy mm-hmm. western a country dancey song. Yeah, country yeah. bebop or something. And I was like, that's really weird. It doesn't really jive with the sort of scene. It It is weird. However, out of everybody, that was the best performance of the night, I yeah, thought. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I actually thought, and I should have said this at the top of the show, that Alexis was sort of robbed. I think Alexis should have been in the top, if I'm being honest. Alexis should have won. Alexis yeah. should have won this week. Absolutely. Yeah, she should have won. She she was very good in the musical, which is that's her talent, and her outfit was really good. Yes, um, which we will get to in a second. But like, but the topic I really want to talk about here today, and it sounds like it's a Rulaska thought style topic, but Robert is not in our generation. Because mm-hmm. something that I was thinking about with this episode was this is a really odd mix of things here with the Grace Jones and the Knight of a Thousand Joan Crawfords mm-hmm. in that there are a bunch of queens who watch this show. You know, most of the audience is very young right. who have no idea what they're talking about. In fact, as I was telling people yesterday, like I think that you and I don't have that big of an age difference. It's like two or three years or something. Yeah. But there is, we can see it here is in that I just missed being exposed to Grace Jones. Partly because I was the older brother. I know you have an older sister, but I was. No, I don't. Oh, I'm the don't? oldest. I'm the oldest. Oh. Mm-hmm. So then I thought for some reason you were the person who like they're, you're. Oh, maybe somebody else then. Okay. So I don't know if you're a big Grace Jones fan at all, but like I'm barely yeah. aware of her. Yeah. Maybe she was even too old. She's sort of like, again, she's sort of like the icon for like RuPaul's generation or gays or maybe even just a step younger. Like I have a cousin who's gay and he's in his mid to late fifties and that might be more of his scene. You know, people she who was, were like, yeah. Yeah. She was bigger, like in the late seventies, early eighties, which is, you know, and, and honestly, the way that I know music is from MTV and she didn't have any, real like videos that they would show on MTV in the beginning, you know, that's kind of how all of that music has been imprinted on me and different artists, that sort of thing. So I knew she was, I knew her from movies. Like she was in one of the Conan, the barbarian movies, and she had done a couple of like things James like Bond, that. Like, think yeah. Too, she was, yeah. she was the villain, uh, one of the villains in a view to the a view to a kill. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, so I it, it, that that didn't really that those looks didn't resonate with me. That it's not a per- person that I am looking for. And then two uh, with mommy dearest, but but there's a difference between the two. And this is where I'm going here is we have two gay icons, but they're different in that I feel Grace Jones is a gay icon, but for a very specific generation and belongs to that generation where I feel, even though people have been arguing with me, but the people I talk to, I shouldn't have been talking to them. I feel Joan Crawford sort of transcends generations. However, she is an acquired taste. And I think here, I've been thinking a lot about this for the past 24 hours is I feel like not just gay people, but anybody, when you're very young, I'm saying, let's start with 18, but it's younger, but we'll start with 18 to like, I don't know, in your early 30s, you're building your pop culture palette. Yes. Food palette. You're building your palette. And so you're building that. And so you don't either have the bandwidth or the interest in anything outside of what very much interests you as you build your taste level. I agree with that. And then you get to a certain point where, okay, you've established your taste level. You're comfortable with what you like personally. And then that's when you venture out into more obscure things that that still fall in the realm of your taste level, but might be, it could be different things. Maybe if you like music, you start going to obscure disco songs or like, you know, uh, it, it could be a million things, you know, like for me personally, I'm a cinephile, right? Uh-huh. And I saw this tweet that I wish I would have, anything I ever see that I should have saved, I never do. But I saw this tweet that was essentially, I'm paraphrasing, along the lines of that when you first start becoming a fan of film, you just want to see everything on the AFI top 100 list or any sort of sight and sound top 100 because you're building your taste level. And then right. you see that and you might go to like foreign films after that, right? And then once you've built that, once you've established that, the the tweet makes a joke about how once you're like, you know you're a true cinephile when you're like, oh, wait, Bella Lugosi and, you know, a bat or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's true. Like, so now I want, I mean, I do watch highbrow movies, but I'll also be equally excited for a movie like, you know, teenagers from outer space you know or something like that that uh, come into action this was a movie i saw recently it was from the 50s where like alien teenagers come and take over and like super cheesy and dumb and you're so stoked on this yeah and i think it's the same thing with mommy dearest is like yeah i had no interest in mommy dearest until i was probably in my 30s mm-hmm. and then i saw it in a theater well no i actually started with a parody called mommy queerest saw mm-hmm. that didn't really get all the jokes but then i was like well i gotta because i gotta watch this mommy dearest watch in the theater with a bunch of faggots and we just loved it yeah and then since then um uh then i've become a big fan and learned more about it. i don't know what but i want to know what your experience is so i feel like a lot of the younger kids will learn to like it later but go ahead what, what are your thoughts here I agree 100% with what you're saying when I think about movies starting at about 18, though I have movies from when I was little that I would watch over and over and over again that I think laid the found like almost the foundation for the foundation of the movies. You know, I'm thinking of movies like Grease. I would watch a million times or The Wiz was a movie. Mommy Dearest was a movie that was always on HBO that we used to watch over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I think about some of my favorite movies from that 18 to 30 age, I'm thinking about movies like Soap Dish 
is one of my all-time favorite movies. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Like those weird, mm-hmm. dark, campy yeah. humors, which definitely anybody who listens to Pot as my co-pilot knows that we that's kind of, you know, that's sort of the way that we all talk to each other. Um, and you definitely do after a while you go, okay, I've seen all of these a million times. Yeah. What's what's something new? What's something new that's within that genre or in that, yeah. you know, in that that wheelhouse and you just kind of ex- you expand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good. I think that's good, you know, because in your 20s, <clears throat> you know, you are so focused on what you like and, and really you're still in that kind of that black and white thinking sort of thing. But mm-hmm. as you get older, you're like, well, maybe there is more out there that yeah. I can try something and see it's, you know, dip a toe in it and see if I like it or not. Well, I also think there's a whole decaf element too, in that like I think when you're twenty in your twenties and, and and it spills into your thirties, you care a lot about what people think about what your taste level might be, and mm-hmm. then at a certain point you stop giving a fuck and you're like I'm just gonna like what I like, you mm-hmm. know. So I was talking to Robert briefly about this yesterday, and so we'll probably explore this more on Rulaska thoughts, but because I was what, what I was asking was. I was trying to find the floor for this. And what I mean was obviously like someone in their early 20s has no interest or cares about Mommy Dearest, Joan Crawford or whatever. It'd be unusual, right? Right. But like Robert is a smart gay in his early 30s. So I wanted to see if he he's like, no. And of course, very Robert. He started pontificating about how only old you know, gays like this and that the, the, the love of old Hollywood's going to die. And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> old Hollywood's been dead since most of us were born. Like Joan Crawford was dead. I think around the time I was born. Yeah. So, um, so I don't think that's the case. I think, and because then he like, he goes like, yeah, there are all these old gays who love like Angela Lansbury and Carol Channing and Phyllis Diller. And I was like, are there though? But I was like, but I go, but the problem is I go, Joe, Phyllis Diller, Angela Lansbury, and I don't know, Betty Davis or Carol, Ch- Carol might be another crap, but like Betty Davis, Angela Lansbury, and Phyllis Diller, I could maybe buy that argument because they're not crazy. They're just really good at what they do and men love them, right? Came in yeah. love them. My love for Joan Crawford has nothing to do with her being an amazing actress. Mm-hmm. It has to do, particularly in her later years, and that's actually most of the Joan Crawford that I've watched, actually. Even though she's amazing in a movie called The Women and she's amazing in Mildred Pierce, most of the movies that I love from Joan Crawford are her later years, like Johnny Guitar, which I was surprised they didn't use in this at all because she's, it's very lesbianish and she wears a pantsuit the whole time. It's really weird. Because they make reference to other really obscure ones. She, they make reference to Straight Jacket, a movie she made, which is crazy. They make a yeah. movie. I can't remember the name of it. It's like a weird name like... Trog. 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 Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. the last movie that she did. Yeah. So they make a reference to Trog. You know? So they make a mix. And when you watch Trog and Straight Jacket, they're, they're, these movies are fucking crazy. Crazy. And I told them, I go, but the one thing you can't deny, and you should watch these movies because they're fun and they're crazy is you look at these movies and she's with a bunch of because she's now at the twilight of her career and she can't get work so she's working with much lesser it's actors hammer studios wasn't it that she got a she, trog 
for Hammer? Trog, I think was I think even like straight jacket and stuff that that was where that was for some reason I know this I think I know this where she signed like a picture deal with Hammer Studios which was known for their like almost grindhouse horror which by the way I'm a huge Hammer Studios fan huge almost fanatic about Hammer Studios right so um what 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 you can't deny when you should watch those movies is without knowing a lick about Joan Crawford you see these movies and you're like, oh shit, because it's more evident in these. When you when she, when she's in the women, there's a bunch of to power 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 hitters in that movie, so it's hard to tell. But when you're watching like Trog or Straight Jack, you're like, oh, that's a fucking movie star. Yeah. Like you can't, and they're not trying to do it. You just can't stop staring at her. Like she, you can see, even though it's cuckoo bananas, you can see why she was. She's a movie star. She's not an actress. She's a movie star. Right and. She's not good. They're horrible movies. <laughs> They're horrible. And that's why I love them. But I was saying it takes p- – people don't love Joan Crawford because she's big, – maybe they are some. But, like, they love her for – a lot of us love her for that reason. Same thing. No one – is there anyone that loves Mommy Dears except for RuPaul as this seminal motion picture? Mm-hmm. The movie is – it's camp at its highest level. I mean, yeah. you can't beat that as camp. You, you know? don't go because it's a it, when it's playing in a theater. You go because you want to watch it with other people, and like you yeah. said earlier, and laugh at it. It's not like yeah. where you're sitting there crying through all of these scenes of just this no. ama- this amazing emoting and and that sort of stuff. You want to watch Faye Dunaway beat the shit out of an eight year old actress. But, <laughs> but that's it's funny. I made that note about this, which is something that's glossed over, and I don't have a problem with this because I think it's funny. But this is, you have to understand something. Mommy Dares the movie is based on an autobiography from her abused daughter. And one of the things that Christina um, Crawford has never liked about the movie is she felt it, they made, her, her biggest nightmare was that they made it a movie about Joan Crawford and it downplays and almost comically plays up the abuse. But this is a movie, a book and a story about an abused, physically and mentally abused child. Yes. Who's still alive, by the way. Christina Crawford's still alive. That we laugh at. And um, and that they play up what... Now, by the way, just so everyone should know, it's kind of controversial about how true these stories are. It's It seems to be like 50-50 of people who knew Joan Crawford. They some, some people said that they did witness this. Some people said they never witnessed this. And they, that Christina's lying. Mm-hmm. So, because also people should know, this is not in the story... Joan Crawford had two other kids she adopted. We only see Christopher and 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 Christina, but right. she had two other kids, and she left everything to those two other kids. And the two other kids say Joan Crawford was nothing but lovely, and do not well. agree with Christina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, they got everything right. Right. So, so, but guys, this is where it gets cuckoo. Is in the movie you see this. Um, the the final scene is Joan Crawford in her coffin, and they tell Christina and Christopher that they that she's left them nothing for reasons known to them, right? Right. Well, the theory is is that Joan Crawford because Christina was the book came out like right after Joan Crawford died, and mm. that Joan Crawford had gotten a whiff that Christina was writing and selling a book about her, and so cut her off the will. So it's, it's so the guys, this is if you are a fan of just gay faggotry. Even though nobody's gay or faggotry in this. Uh, some of the costumes are very faggotry. <laughs> that, you know, I was telling Jeremy, we were watching it, and I said, let me tell you something. I said, almost every out here, here is directly lifted from the movie. And he was like, what? 
Like, you know yeah. the crazy one that James is wearing? I'm like, no, Faye Dunaway is really wearing that outfit. In fact, it might be more crazy in the movie. Yeah, because it's Faye Dunaway wearing it and not an actual drag queen. Yeah, I'm actually thinking, because I was talking to JLs before, my birthday is coming up. I'm actually thinking of somehow like renting a small theater or something and showing Mommy Dearest to everybody I know, like Robert's never seen it, Jay's never seen it, and just having like a party out here where we just fucking watch Mommy Dearest. The only problem is I think it's like two hours. Maybe we'll watch Straight Jacket. I think Straight Jacket is like 70 minutes. Or okay. something. But right. um you're welcome to come, Taylor. And Thank you. so um you can invite Baba too if you want. I could we I could bring Baba too. That yeah, would be your Baba. birthday present. Yeah, he could sit in my lap. Oh, sorry, we're out of seats. Wait, there's a whole <laughs> row of empty seats right here. No, those are reserved. For who? I don't know. My friend's bringing all of his dolls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a evil John. I need to borrow two hundred dolls. <laughs> So, so anyway, uh, but yeah, so like I think like so Robert was poo-pooing that he would ever like my mommy dares. And who maybe he never will. Mm-hmm. But I what I disagree with him is though, I think gays will still love mommy dares just as much as they do now. In fact, you and I are even too young from I was what, like six when it came out or something? Five. Yeah. It was and I so, think I was I think I was nine. It came out, I think, in eighty one. Oh, okay. So I would have been like not born negative <laughs> 10 um by so the anyway, way yeah uh, we were both still we were both alive when joan crawford died she died in 1977 oh okay well then she waited for me to be born and then she died right um all right let's go to the looks night of a thousand grace joneses your thoughts here tame of the lovely boy um the only one that i really really liked was alexis's Alexis's was the only one that I thought was was the, and again the reason why I thought oh well she's gonna win tonight mm-hmm. so that's why I was very surprised that that she was deemed safe of all things mm-hmm. like they didn't yeah. even keep her on for the stage for that but yeah I know I thought I thought James's was awful with the with the foxtails and and yeah, uh, it was awful and I actually kind of liked Candy's I thought Candy's look was pretty cool. There's a lot of criticism online about candies, not because necessarily the look, even though people think it looked cheap, but was that Michelle loves to read a bitch for always wearing a one piece or whatever. What do they call those? Not the one piece. What do they call leotard. it? Like a, yeah, whatever it is. A leotard. And then a leotard and then sticking things on it, which is essentially what she did. But then she won the whole thing. <laughs> they won the whole thing. Um, by the way, breaking news. We took a little break earlier. And I was on the Reddit and Heidi posted this thing that's very interesting. If anyone remembers when Heidi left, remember she confronted Alexis about, hey, you saw Candy say this thing. Uh-huh. And Alexis backed down in, in, in an interview the next week, not interview, in a live with Jimbo. She said it was because she was afraid of Ale- of Candy. And Heidi just posted a, 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 a tweet or an Instagram post saying like, wow, the next week, uh, next episode, Alexis didn't seem to be too afraid of Candy when it came to casting the roles. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's a very good point. Very good point. Point Heidi in closet. You're right. She wasn't too afraid of Alexis then. Any other yeah. thoughts on the looks? Uh, no, I, I just kind of did a lot of like, okay, well, that was all right. That's an okay yeah. look. I, I, I'm not as familiar. With, I know that anytime you saw Grace Jones in the 80s, she always had on these amazing high fashion, high concept outfits. Yeah. So 
I knew to expect something like that, but I was I was sort of underwhelmed by everybody. The only other like specific note was Jimbo. I said it was different for her, like her makeup and everything was very different from what we know. Oh, and she yeah. didn't have the big fake boobs and and all that. So, uh, well, I did, but then I thought it made her look stiff and bizarre and weird. So I don't know. Oh, that did. Is it just me, or did Rue look so uncomfortable in that dress walking down the runway? Uh, can't, people have commented on this. I didn't clock it, but you're not the first person to say people didn't like it. It was very polarized. Some people really loved it. Some people didn't like it. Where did you fall on the look of it? Oh, I didn't like it at all. But even the way that she wa- she was, I mean, I think it was just, it was so tight. And, and Michelle even made the comment about it. But she just looked, when she did her, you know, welcome to RuPaul's, she just looked like, I just have to get through this one more time. And then I can get to go and put on my sweatpants. Yeah. I have to look at it. People have commented on this. I want to look at that. Uh, all right. On the main stage, Candy Muse is named the top all-star of the week, while Kahana Montrese and James Mansfield are placed in the bottom two. Later, Angeria Paris and Michaels is this week's lip-sync assassin, and she goes head-to-head against Candy Muse in a lip-sync battle for their legacies. The song, I'm Not Perfect, But I'm Perfect for You by Grace Jones. In the end, Candy Muse was named the winner of the lip-sync, and she won the power to reveal the name of... Uh, the person she selected to leave the competition. That name, James Mansfield. Taylor, any final thoughts on the episode? Things we didn't mention? Things you forgot to say? Give it to us now. I love that we live in a world mm-hmm. in which RuPaul is giving vocal critique to a drag queen. Oh, God. <laughs> this bitch. Do you think she can really? No, but the, people have joked that she can't sing. But do you think she believes she can't sing? No, I think I think she believes she can do anything she puts her mind to that's true she probably does yeah yeah um you know i should i know what i'm gonna say right now is on the nose i'm not the first person to say this it's it i clocked it everyone clocked it but i want to call it just as a way of documenting this episode was leland intentionally trying to look like a gay fred from (laughs) scooby-doo i did write on there why is he wearing uh one of uh, Mrs. Kasha Davis's balloons around his neck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was really weird. And what happened to Freddie? It was always Leland and Freddie, and now it was just some schlubby guy sitting there. I don't know. Maybe Fred wasn't available. Fred had shifted was... hamburger Marys that he couldn't get somebody to pick up for him. So he didn't have the wires to plug into that uh, mixer that he. Right. He has. was yeah. he he was at Radio Shack trying to find the right wires. Yeah. By the way, I have this as a, as a talking point, but I want to get out of here, so I'm not going to really focus on it that much. But, like, why does Leland bother me so much? I don't get it, because he's never really done anything patently offensive or awful. He doesn't deserve a this Leland. But he really fucking bothers me, and I think it's a me thing. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. What do you think it is? Do you have a – what do you think of this Leland? I don't mind him. He's just sort of there, you know? Yeah. I mean – when Lucian was on, Lucian seemed to have more of a presence that you plus I, I always thought Lucian was cute. Mm-hmm. So that that definitely helped. But Leland is sort of like, OK, you're you're talented and you're there. You just, you know, he's sort of middle of the road. He's kind of he's kind of milquetoast mm-hmm. in that he doesn't really, you know, he doesn't todrick them, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, you know, necessarily like. Whatever the opposite of Todrick is, yeah. where where everything they do isn't amazing. Yeah. It's just he's just sort of like, okay, that was good. You might want to try this, or you might want to try that. And there, there's just sort of he's he's whelming. I'm going to tell you something. Here's proof that I want to get out of here. 
you dropped these Todrick references and I didn't I didn't buy because oh. I'm like I want to get out of here even though there are big topics we didn't talk about I want there's a part on elimination day where Jessica's talking about how she just turned 40 and she realized that there's life after 40 I'm like the 40s are amazing 40s are awesome yeah I loved my 40s and then um, one more thing was um, during Ken, the way that they're pushing this shit, the rigor mortis and stuff like that, is during, you don't really hear this in any other number, but on Candy's number, which was fine, on the Rusical, you hear Michelle doing that famous, ha ha ha, uh, yeah. on the back. I'm like, okay, we get it, girl. We get it. You're trying to We're push. all supposed to like this one. Though I did yes. think Candy did well. I mean, I yeah, thought yeah, yeah, yeah. she did a good job. Yeah, she, she, I mean, I will, she had one of the best songs in the whole thing. But mm-hmm. um, whatever. All right. Well, on that note, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we call it a day? We're going to uh, wait. How do we say this? Okay. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Be sure to join us next week and every week as we continue to discuss, dissect, and deconstruct each brand new episode of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 8. So, for Taylor Lulati Boy and myself. And don't forget me. <laughs> and my stone. Sashay away until next week. Thank you for listening to Drag Race Recap. Have something to say? Leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash afterthoughtmedia. You can also email us at dragracerecap at afterthought.media. For more Drag Race and LGBTQ content, support us over at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. You can also watch video versions of the show and more over at youtube.com slash dragracerecap. This podcast was produced by Luke Stamen. Taylor the Latte Boy has another podcast. It's called Pod is My Co-Pilot, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow Taylor on Instagram at PIMC Taylor. Follow Joe Batance on Instagram and TikTok at Joe Batance. Special thanks to these expensive tier Patreon supporters, Alex S. Anonymous, April Pacheco, Astute Girl, Brad Coley, Carter McKinnon, Corinna Williamson, Doofus Maximus, E. Smith, Elizabeth Timmer, Emma, Humble Pie, J. Thomas Blank, Jesse Harris, Kathy Zender, Lauren Eckert, Lucy Carrasco, Luke Stamen, Mike Yeager, Nikki Baker, Poppy Woods, Ricardo Herrera, Robert NYC, Robin Egenberger, Runner Brandon, Sarah Yu, Tom Bombs, Travi Cosmos, Troy Anderson, Zach Nelson. Drag Race Recap is an Afterthought Media Podcast.